0: This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Todd Willits, and I'm joined by EPFR's economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming week. Cam, good morning. I know you're a big silver and gold fan, and we'll get to that later in the the podcast, but uh, have you been investing in any uh, commodities as of late? I really haven't. Uh, I, I perhaps sh- should take a look at it, um,
1: but it is a fairly specialized uh, sort of corner of the investment universe, and I'm aware that uh, I don't really that I would be the fool in the market in too many cases. So
0: let's start with the the big story. Out of last week, we came into the year with the focus really being on Asia leading the recovery in many ways, but the u s has owned the narrative ever since. I know we saw new economic numbers out of the u s last week, uh, looking at what happened through the end of April. Are we seeing a bit of a rotation to a maybe a new period of revitalization for the West coming out of this pandemic?
1: Well, we're, we're certainly seeing a shift in sort of investor focus right now. Uh, I think uh, it, it could easily drag us back into the question we looked at last week. Um, uh, are we looking at a rebound or real recovery? Um, but yes, it's been, quite, I think, quite a, an important shift. Um I'll start with sort of where the needle is now, which is is in the U.S. and actually, to a lesser extent, Europe. Um, in the case of the U.S., one thing we really saw last week is that um, people cleaving to uh, a well-established piece of investment wisdom, which is never bet against the U.S. consumer. Um so you know, the u s equity funds that we track twelfth inflow in the past thirteen weeks uh flows into consumer goods sector funds up to a seven week high uh and uh, what I thought was particularly interesting was uh i was I was stirred by this to sort of dive into our money fund data uh and it turns out that while the overall flows into them have been very level. Uh, retail investors have started to pull significant sums out. So uh, more fuel for the U.S. consumption fire as if it needed it. Um, Looking at the other side of the coin, it's certainly interesting uh, that Asia, that was sort of so much talked of as the engine that would tow the global economy, Uh, to better places this year has, certainly for mutual fund investors, gone off the boil a bit. Um, A variety of reasons for that, one one of which we've discussed, which is that uh, China has made noises about normalizing some of its policies. Markets uh, get pretty addicted to stimulus. They don't tend to react too well. Uh, But there's been sort of a a kicking of the tires uh, in another uh, two areas that I think are important. One is, you know, we tend to talk about Asia as if it's this sort of monolithic block, sort of almost like the United States of America or the European Union, when in fact, you know, it's an area with a, a lot of countries, many of which don't get on particularly well. Um, And there's plenty of regional tensions there. If you're looking for a geopolitical black swan at the moment, uh, that's a fairly fertile region. Uh, And secondly, I've definitely been picking up uh, a bit more questioning of of the COVID narrative there. Uh, One of the reasons that uh, was sort of frequently given for why this would be Asia's year was that they had – Manage COVID better. That they, you know that the, the counts of people who died for it are unbelievably low from our perspective. I think Vietnam was under a hundred or something, and New Zealand something similar. Uh, but I think uh, you know, especially as the, the Europe and the U.S. sort of reach post-lockdown critical mass, you know, it's occurring to people that. Uh, you know, putting up good walls is definitely part of the equation, but it leaves you with a large uh, population that are still as vulnerable to COVID as when it first broke out. Um, and and that there's a sort of a choice developing here. Do you take the zero COVID approach, which means you have to keep your economies operating in this strange sort of slightly isolated model uh, or do you sort of risk sort of opening them up and perhaps having a a real wave come through your unprotected population?
0: Right, because the vaccination story is very different than it is, as as we've noted, in the U.S. and U.K. Yes, very different. Well, uh, it it seems like, for now, uncertainty probably favors the West. uh, But an area where the uncertainty does not favor the West is in Great Britain. After a recent uh, countrywide vote, I, I think it was last week, what, what are you seeing? Can you talk a little bit about uh, what what transpired? It, there
1: was definitely one of those midterm uh, elections that uh, was significant. Um, in the broader context, the Conservatives uh, took another brick out of the so-called Labour Red Wall in the north. Um, so um, you know, f- fears that – or not fears, but uh, any assumptions that they're not going to be in power for some time and are not speaking with the majority voice uh, have ebbed. However, they're not speaking with the majority voice north of the border. Uh, Sco- Scotland voted just shy of the uh, kind of result for national parties that would have given them free hand to call for yet another independence referendum, uh, but a strong enough hand that they uh, have some chance, if they want, of negotiating that uh, from a position of strength. Um you know, there's obviously an irony here in that uh, you know the the UK primarily England uh unleashed Brexit on the United Kingdom and now they're saying that you know, this this might be the thing that tra- tra- uh, triggered what they're calling Scotsick you know, it's a somewhat harder thing to sort of make a snappy Uh, tagline out of. Um, But obviously, you know, if uh, Scotland goes down that route, um, it imposes all kinds of logistical, legal, economic issues uh, on England. um, And... uh, you know will put uh, the united kingdom under you know a period of sort of stress and uncertainty somewhat similar to what they hoped they were emerging from with brexit um that that said at the moment um you know what we're seeing is a fairly sanguine response we've been here before and each time the uh, the the result was a vote to sort of stay in the united kingdom um, you know our, our G10 currency models and our FX allocations data set uh, are putting you know sterling sort of in the in the uh, at the bottom of the upper third in terms of of currency signals uh, and it 's actually still the euro that 's sort of down on the floor uh, and u s equity funds had uh, quite quite decent inflows uh, last week. Um, But there's no doubt, uh, certainly no doubt in my mind, that uh, this is going to um, push the day further down the road when the the UK can, or the non-UK can really sort of focus on what its post-Brexit
0: future looks like. So historically, we've always looked at uh, one area as a uh, reaction to uncertainty, and that's gold and silver. Uh, so talking about uh, a few different areas globally where we're not really sure where things are heading, but I'm not seeing the reaction and sentiment to gold and silver, steady out or pretty steady outflows this year, uh, despite a use of silver in industrial um, applications. So what's going on? Well, a uh, uh, good
1: question, <laughs> and I may not be able to answer it conclusively, but um... Uh, you, well first off i think it's uh we're seeing another manifestation of this uh, broad skepticism uh, about the fed's narrative that inflation is going to be transitory uh If you think U.S. interest rates are going to move up in a meaningful way in the not-too-distant future, um, you're usually less inclined to buy gold to sort of hedge against dollar weakness. And I think we're sort of seeing part of that. We've talked about how that's sort of showing up in other corners of our various databases. Uh, In the case of silver, it's a little more perplexing because silver is – Though it's sort of uh, the uh, sort of uh, plain cousin in the precious metals universe, uh, it is one of the ones that people turn to if they're expecting uh, inflation ahead historically. Uh, and even more so, it has many industrial applications. You know, Things from car engines to telephones to electronics. So, you would expect with the, the bounce that we're looking at that uh, demand for it and hence investor interest would begin to pick up. Um, uh, industrial sector funds, uh, you know, flows into those as soaring. So, that narrative, people certainly believe that narrative, but they're not bringing silver along for the ride uh one of the things I do think may be at play, and you know it's one of these sort of slightly hard to pin down answers for which I apologize but I think that the fact that it the last time it really moved up it did so uh in response to sort of the frenzied retail activity uh has sort of m- Given the retail, uh, not the retail, the institutional side, uh, a bit of a pause for thought. Um, you know, do I want to put money in something and then have the short squeeze gang <laughs> come marching back in? So I think we may be looking to some degree, uh, as I said, I think there's definitely an element of doubt about the inflation narrative, but I think we're also looking on the silver side uh, at a technical thing, which is that uh, people were a little bit rattled by what happened back in, I think it was uh, February, uh, and are just waiting to see how things play out before they use silver funds as a vehicle
0: uh, to get exposure to that particular segment. So next Monday, we'll be joined uh, by Sonaria Karim, who will be hosting uh, in my absence. So excited to have her. Uh, what are you and Sonaria going to be uh, talking about that the team has looked at this week?
1: Uh, well, we'll be... Uh Definitely focusing uh, on Asia uh, this week. Um, Some members of the team are sort of revisiting what the MSCI's inclusion of China and and expansion of their uh, original weightings, uh, how that is actually playing out in a fund flows and a stock flows context. Uh, And uh, another couple of members of the team are sort of looking at – some offshore uh, Renminbi flow data that uh, we've got in our hands-on to see if there are correlations uh, with our data. So I suspect the conversation will have a slightly uh, Asian focus. Great. Thanks,
0: Kim. Have a great week. You too. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com podcast.